0: Lead Time is a weekly dose of leadership insights and interviews from Tim Allman and Jake Bessling. Lead Time is for any leader living in a busy world, looking to be inspired, equipped, and empowered to lead others to their fullest potential. This is Lead Time. Welcome to Lead Time. If you like what you hear, please, please, please share it with your friends. Today begins our second conversation with Reverend Dr. Jacob A. Preuss, a.k.a. Jack's in the house. What a stud. I'm Jake Bessling here with Tim Allman. Thanks
1: for joining us again, friends. Amen. This is a great day. We rejoice in it. Wherever you're at, we pray that the joy and life and love of Jesus is just saturating your spirit and leading you to love others today as a follower of Jesus. So being a follower of Jesus in North America and in Europe can sometimes today feel like a bummer. It feels like we're losing ground. Last episode, we talked about a pause, and you corrected me and said, you know what? It's, it's a decline. And here's why sometimes we get bummed out. We hear so many reports of the church exploding in the global south, and the same sort of explosion is not necessarily happening happening here in, in the west, in the north. A recent Washington Post story described the impact that Christians from Africa, Asia, and Latin America are having on the country of Denmark. Immigrants have started more than 150 churches in Denmark, and these churches not only minister to foreign-born residents, but increasingly to the native Danes as well. Philip Jenkins isn't surprised at these developments. He's a missiologist, and he's not surprised at them in Denmark and even here in the United States. Jenkins, a professor of history at Penn State, has chronicled the rise of what he calls the next Christendom. Have you read this book? Jay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a staple. As he writes in his book, The New Faces of Christianity Believing the Bible in the Global South, 60% of the estimated 2 billion Christians in the world live in Africa, Asia, or Latin America. And by 2050, so just a little over 30 years from now, there will be an estimated 3 billion Christians, 75% of whom Will live in what we now title the Global South. Amazing. So, on one token, we would be wise to look at those
0: numbers yep. and what they are doing in the Global South to reach new people. Nonetheless, we should take caution against getting too caught up in the numbers. Though we marvel at the phenomenal growth of the Global South churches, we urge our brothers and sisters around the world to spend the necessary time to teach, to train, and to grow strong indigenous leaders who are willing to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever they are called. We can each individually only control what Jesus has placed immediately around us in the here and now. Today, we are blessed to learn once again from Dr. Jack Preuss. Jack, please give us your perspective on what Jesus is doing in the Global South. Welcome back to the show, brother.
2: Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be back. Uh, Thanks for having me. Pardon me. You're good. I've actually had some... uh, Pretty significant experience in all three of the areas that you mentioned, Tim. Mm. Um, uh, I've been involved in, let me just clear my throat. Yeah. I don't know what happened. No. I've had some. We talk a lot. No, so (laughs) we
1: we preach, and sometimes you just, well, you preach, you talk forever, and sometimes you get a tickle in your throat, and it just won't go away. That tickle needs to go away. Water?
2: No, I'm I'm good. Okay. Thanks.
1: Here we're rolling. Um, we're rolling. Here we go. So but those three areas: Africa, Asia, and Latin America. You've had significant experiences in those areas. Oh
2: yeah, yeah. I've uh, traveled extensively through Africa. Probably I don't know 15 or 20 countries. Um, I did some teaching in South Africa uh, 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 in the past. Um, I serve on the board of a of, of a foundation or a not-for-profit uh, organization called Rafiki Foundation, uh, which... I love um, that name. What's it mean? It means grace. <clears throat> yeah, And um, they, they uh, provide services in about 10 countries, uh, educational services. They, they run schools uh, and things like that. Um, and so I've been really blessed to be involved quite a bit around uh, Africa. In fact, I, I'm planning a trip to Ethiopia uh, this fall, Uh, where I'll be meeting uh, with some of the leaders of the church there. Um, I've uh, had extensive experience in Southeast Asia, again, uh, traveled uh, throughout uh, places like Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos, Myanmar, uh, I don't currently, but I, up until last year, I served on the board of a foundation called the Garuna Foundation. And Garuna. Also means grace. means grace. <laughs> <laughs> we love grace. And uh, I've taught a number of classes there uh, connected with them. Uh, but, of course, Latin America is um, the place uh, where I've been most involved. Yeah. And I've been to many, many countries, Mexico, Central America, various southern uh, uh, countries in South America, let me tell you a story about how I, come, I came to know and, and really love Latin America so much. Uh, maybe this will be of interest to the hearers. Um, you might remember that in the previous program, I mentioned um, how I went away to university and became a forestry major just to kind of get away from all the conflict of the Senate. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <Tell> <laughs> that's how that went. Yeah. Go. <laughs> Not so well. My first semester, I enrolled (laughs) in courses like uh, botany, biology, geology, geometry, zoology. Seriously, all these courses. And in addition, I pledged a fraternity, Beta Sigma Psi, which is a Lutheran fraternity, which involved some partying.
0: Theology and partying, okay. (laughs)
2: Um, We would party late on Saturday night. And then all of us would line up, no kidding, line up and march across the parking lot to church on Sunday morning. We all went to church. To always, need some forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it was a Lutheran fraternity, yeah. and we needed forgiveness. <laughs> 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 well, to say the, the least, that semester didn't go so well, with uh, uh, very difficult classes and much too much partying. I ended up my first semester with a one six nine GPA. You? Can you even imagine? 169. <laughs> Whoa. 169. And there was a note on the bottom of the cra- grade 69. card. 169. Uh, on the bottom of the grade card that says, uh, if you don't bring your GPA up to at least 2.0 by next semester, you're out of here. Get out of here. No kidding. And it scared me to death. Yeah. And then I pictured my dad and mom here <laughs> <laughs> seeing that. Your
1: dad's president of the senate this time, yes? He
2: was president of the senate. I don't know if he ever saw that. He never said anything. But... Uh, You worked hard. I was cured. (laughs) You turned it around? (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, It was pretty bad. So I went to the counselor uh, to uh, to change my courses, and I enrolled for the next semester Mm. in all kinds of stuff that I knew I was really good at, like Uh. languages, history, anthropology, non-science stuff, no math. Uh, and I, I changed my major to Latin American studies, by the way, that next semester, 4.0. Yeah, Woo! Baby. yeah baby. You got well it done. done. And I worked so hard. Um, by the time I graduated, I had brought my GPA up to 369, yeah. which put me on the dean's list and the honor roll. Way and, to go. And all of that. Uh, and then I entered a master's program in in Spanish, mm-hmm. and I taught Spanish to the freshmen and so forth. Um, so that's how I became really interested in Latin America. Yeah. Um, I never received a call to work full-time in, in ministry in Latin America, but I've maintained my interest in my ability to speak Spanish and Portuguese. I did spend half a year in, in Mexico when I was uh, studying and then uh, half a year in, in Brazil uh, teaching at their seminary there. And now my involvement and uh, uh, in work in Uruguay is something of the fulfillment of a dream for me. I go down there about four times a year. And uh, might go on their um, staff as the North American liaison. I love uh,
1: that for all the programs. I love that story. the The pivot your freshman <laughs> year of college <laughs> and finding your sweet spot, and you did.
2: I found it.
0: You know,
1: and yeah. the rest was history. The rest was.
0: But when history. you sat with that counselor, why Latin America?
2: Well, it was you, uh, mostly Spanish, and and for, for you the, wanted to learn that. I, 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 I knew I was good at it. Wow. I had already studied, and I knew I can I can do this because I got to bring my GPA. Bring up it to, up. To that's that's cr- It's
0: very cool to see how God used that desire for I know I can be good at this mm-hmm. to then make it a a real passion yeah. with more
1: education and people around you. So, what can the American church learn from the church in the global South from your experience, Jack?
2: Well, there's so much that we can learn. Um, in all my uh, travels around the world, I've had uh, so many opportunities to learn so much. Um, for example, uh, we can learn to be church in uh, adverse circumstances. Um, for example, in Nigeria, the Christians, especially in the middle part of the country, um, endure severe persecution for being Christian. And in other places, too, but uh, we, we can learn from them how to remain faithful in times of, of adversity, hopefully never like that. But, but, you know, it's in our future, in our country, probably not in my lifetime, but...
1: Possibly in ours.
2: In, in ours. Um, um, uh, we can learn how to endure intellectual opposition. Um, I, I work a lot in Uruguay. We're going to hear, hear more about that. Uruguay is, nobody knows, of course, nobody even knows where Uruguay is. But it is the most atheistic... Country in the Western world, wow. um, the the lowest percentage of Christians, the highest percentage of atheists that that claim to be. How can you be a faithful Christian uh, in a, a situation like that? We can learn yeah. from them because yeah. that that's probably the way the United States is going to be
1: yeah.
2: uh, in the next years. Um, in Myanmar, you can't believe the the poverty in which yeah. th- the Christians live. So uh, we can learn how to endure the physical hardship. Um, in Vietnam, the church is persecuted. Um, we had a, a missionary there who got too involved in preaching the gospel to local people, and he was kicked out of the country. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, we can we can learn from them uh, in Ethiopia. From them, we can we can learn how to to get by with with less. I think you, you you're going to comment a little bit on on that, but yeah. uh, uh, it's amazing what they do. So it's been relatively easy to be a Christian uh, in America. Mm. Other than empathy, uh, which is more of a recent thing, we've had no real opposition here yet. Things are changing, uh, but we can certainly learn a great deal from our our friends in other countries.
1: Mm. Beautifully summarized there. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We have a learning posture as a congregation, and we're praying that it moves out to the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod as well. Uh, Reverend Michael Newman, the LCMS Texas District President, in his book, Gospel DNA, summarizes a potential roadblock for missional multiplication within the LCMS as an LCMS educational system, which you have been a part of, uh, Jack, for many years. So leaders and pastors are needed for these new churches. Newman asserts that the rigorous educational process for pastors in the LCMS is rooted in the European university system. While the system has wonderful strengths, it is complex, expensive, and rigorous, Newman says. Newman recommends that the current system be adapted to include multiple levels of gospel workers using technology and mentoring. Some of these servants may become pastors. Some of them will simply be evangelists or missionaries. Newman recommends adapting a system for raising up Lutheran leaders that is faster, less costly, more inclusive, and more locally focused. So how in your work with the church in Latin America, have you seen that church body be adaptive?
2: Um, well, by the way, I know uh, Michael <clears throat> Newman quite well, and he's a, he's a great guy. Wonderful man. Uh, uh, fairly recently elected president of the Tex- Texas district. Honestly, uh, I have not read his book. Okay. Uh, I'm going to have to do that. So I'm not sure exactly what to say. And I'm assuming your question uh, has to do with the Lutheran Church in Latin America. That's right. But, of course, it has to be said uh, that historically the dominant denomination in Latin America yeah. is the Catholic Church. Um, probably more than 75% of the people in the, the whole continent, or at least in, in those countries, um, identify as, uh, as Catholic. The main reason for this, of course, is that uh, Latin America was colonized by Spain and Portugal, hmm. Uh, Which imported and vigorously promoted uh, capitalism. Uh, Excuse me, Catholicism. (laughs) Catholicism. They didn't promote capitalism. (laughs) Pardon me, and that's almost the opposite of what I meant to say. It's It's awesome.
1: (laughs) But another reason.
2: But another reason that the Catholic Church became so dominant was that it was so adaptable. But maybe not in a in a in a positive sense. Uh. It adapted to, uh, we might say, adopted. Uh, large swaths of pre-Columbian and non-Christian beliefs and practices. There's so many examples of this, but a a primary one is the example of the the myth about the Virgin of Guadalupe uh, in Mexico, sort of a local Mexican Mary um, who performed miracles and so forth. Um, That kind of adaptability just won't do for us. No bueno. No No es bueno. Among... (laughs) Among the Lutherans in Spanish-speaking America, uh, Latin America, uh, while avoiding the kind of mixture uh, that, the, that the Catholics did, they were also not very adaptive at all, um, which is one of the reasons they haven't grown, and they've remained a tiny minority uh, throughout the region. In Brazil, it's a different story. Uh, the Lutherans there have been adapted, uh, adaptive, and one really excellent um, example of that is the... Uh, uh, Lutheran University of Brazil, yeah, us. Uh, which uh, at one time had some 100,000 students. Can you even imagine that? Unbelievable. Um, it's declined quite a bit for some reasons, but um, it's some difficult times. But it's still the largest Lutheran University in the world. Wow, 100,000 students. Yeah. Amazing. That
0: is incredible. Uh, going on there, Newman says that adaptability rather than mere creativity was part of what allowed the LCMS to rapidly grow. Newman defines creativity as abandoning biblical truth, abandoning biblical truth. Conversely, Newman defines adaptability as keeping original material, the pure gospel of Jesus, and bringing it to bear in a new context. So let's get into the word. Where do you see adaptability rather than creativity evidenced in the early church, Jack?
2: Well, if you define the the word creativity the way Newman does, uh, then yes, of course, we uh, have to be adaptive and not creative. Um, So if we accept Newman's definitions, uh, then we can agree that the church uh, has been able to adapt to new environments throughout history. Of course, in time, uh, the early church... Uh, in the time of the early church, there was no established church, uh, and everything was adaptation, just about everything. Jesus gave his word, of course, including the doctrines contained in it and the sacraments. And then he sent his uh, apostles to gather Jews and Gentiles, but just about everything else was adaptation. That's right. How to form a congregation, where to meet, how to relate to other congregations in a growing church across uh, the, the distance how to uh, reach across cultural and linguistic barriers with the gospel how to conduct worship services everything had to be adapted and by the way in scripture and especially in the book of acts they were very creative i'm using that word in my yeah. way now yeah, yeah, yeah. because I, I you still like creativity i like creativity i think we need to be creative but yeah. not in the sense yeah. that newman yeah, yeah, yeah. Dis- yeah. defines the word which is
1: going up and outside the bounds that Scripture yeah, has yeah. set for us.
2: But creativity is a, I think, a beautiful word, and yeah, we should. And we saw be it, creative.
1: We saw it amply in the Book of Acts as as well. Yeah, right, um, bringing the gospel. I mean, the key is the story of circumcision, right? For not for the Gentiles, for the Jews, for the and yeah. we had a lot of a lot of openness. Um, yeah. the the perspective toward our dietary habits, a lot of mm-hmm. creativity, freedom mm-hmm. is probably a better word under the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what are you most proud of uh, that the Spirit is doing in the church in Latin America, Jack?
2: Well, I'm, I'm very excited about what, what God is doing in, in Uruguay now. Uh, first of all, I'm very proud of what they've accomplished. Mm-hmm. Um, they've only been a recognized church for about a couple of years, maybe three years or, or so, and yet huh. they're already planning on starting a university. Can you imagine the the vision? Yeah, Um, They're building that university on top of an already excellent preschool uh, through secondary educational platform that's recognized as one of the finest in the country. That's Uh, amazing. The president of the country's grandchildren go there. They got them. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really... To the top. Yeah. But now they're planning on starting uh, the only Lutheran University in Spanish-speaking Latin America. Uh, probably wow. in in any Spanish speaking so just country. pause real quick. They've only been a recognized church body for two years, well, I think it was at the last convention, so' yeah, they've I mean, gone three, on three uh, yeah. three years yeah,
1: so how long have they been gathering together this group of of leaders? Oh
2: thirty okay, forty It's
1: yeah. still a very infant a church very body. infant yeah. and,
2: and very small,
1: but they're looking to get after. they got big dreams to reach their country
2: yeah and and they're using the this educational uh experience um. To to enhance their position, they Uh-oh. so they're start, they're going to start uh, the only Lutheran university in a Spanish-speaking country, and this is uh, to a very large extent uh, due to the vision and leadership of the director of the school, Reverend Mauro Rol. Uh, he was originally a Brazilian pastor. He was sent to Uruguay to save a a dev- dying and uh, declining school. Wow! I mentioned him last right, time.
1: Right. You, you're mentoring him, coaching him. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, he not only saved that school, but he put it on a platform of excellence. It's one of the top two or three schools in the country. Um, so now comes university-level instruction. It'll be unique in that it'll be bilingual, English and Spanish, um, Uruguay is a very tiny country, and there aren't very many universities there, but this will set it apart very, very different. Students will study in both English and Spanish. There'll be strong relationships with institutions in North America, especially the Concordia Universities, but also including others. And this will involve an extensive system of student exchanges. Um, Uruguayans coming to states, Mm -hmm. United States students going there. And by the way, Uruguay is a, a... relatively prosperous and relatively safe Mm -hmm. when you compare it with other um, Latin American countries. It's, um,
0: it'd be a great place for a lot of our kids to go. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Love it. So I'm really excited about this. I I serve uh, in a multinational board of directors or board of regents. Um, It's called the Fundacion Educacional Concordia, the Concordia Educational Foundation. I work with a wonderful group of leaders and, and I receive great pleasure and, fulfillment working with him.
0: That's so, awesome. Thank so you. Good. Steve Addison in his book, Movements That Changed the World, said said this, quote, Christianity's stubborn reliance upon the truth combined with flexibility and methods was a key to its success. God's truth could never be adapt, um, adapted, but the methods used to reach others certainly could and would. Addison also said, movements that drift away from their core beliefs are always at risk but so are movements that regard the way they currently function
1: as sacred. Hmm. So I, what I'm amazed about in your story, Jack is the just the vision, the passion, the the love that you have for for this people group. So how I mean over the years you've done a lot of travel, but I just hear you come alive when you see the gospel of Jesus being brought not just near, but also also far. Was there a moment when you just said, you know what, um, I want to give my life away doing international mission work um, in these places where the gospel's not previously been?
2: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I can't re- recall a moment or, or an event. Uh, I, I think I, when I came out of the woods <laughs> in forestry, uh, and started uh, majoring in Latin American studies. I, I I just developed a real avid interest in other places, not only Latin America. By the way, I, I've traveled around quite a bit. I think I, I, you can get online and, and, and get, get on the computer and, and uh, calculate the numbers of countries you visited. I think right. it's 68 or something like wow. that. So it's just Extra in my blood. It's in your blood. Yeah. yeah. And you're
1: still speaking Spanish fluently. And you just get joy even today by traveling these places and seeing what God is doing. And that joy gets brought back to our context here and can even help us uh, shape the future in the LCMS. Missiologist Ed Stetzer recently spoke to LCMS leaders, and he said this, if you want to plant more churches, you need more lanes for ministry. The Ethiopian church, Makana Yesu, um, general secretary, and you could say this better than I, (laughs) but John Berhanu, Afka, maybe that's a good try. <laughs> Sounds good. Noted several categories. So Afka noted several categories of trained and deployed workers within their booming 21st century church body. Here's what they had: ordained pastors, full-time evangelists, lay evangelists, lay ministers. And pause right there on the word "lay." That doesn't mean they're second rate or they don't um, Christian. Yeah, they're just a Christian, and they're they're most often not paid uh, or professional. They're just not paid. So lay. Lay ministers, volunteers for specific ministries, people with extraordinary spiritual gifts and committed members. Each of these leaders is offered robust training for their calling. This results uh, in extraordinary results, people being brought into the family of faith. The Makani Yesu movement has 10,000 congregations. Check this out. 10,000 congregations there in Ethiopia and only 3,500 ordained pastors. You may be saying, huh? So Here's how it works. They have 6,000 full-time evangelists combining their efforts with 55,000 trained volunteers to share the gospel. 55,000 evangelists. Their 7.8 million member church body has a goal to share the gospel with 30 million people to win 10 million converts and plant 8,000 congregations with 5,000 mission posts posts in the next five years. Absolutely amazing. I love how they have a God-sized vision, and it's very
0: clear and measurable, but they actually have a system in order to do it with clear ways to
1: to, to equip the the average person in the church. That's pretty incredible. You can see how they're going to get there. So allow us to give you some LCMS historical context. Many of us have forgotten or never heard how the LCMS grew. The LCMS once had similar goals with the Global South Church and provided the structure and training to make those goals become a reality. The LCMS struck the balance between change and changelessness well in the 1800s and the 1900s. We're going to hold to our core truths of the gospel, but we're going to be very adaptive and creative in our various lanes. So Newman tells a story of Reverend A.W. Kraft graduating from Concordia Theological Seminary in Springfield, Illinois in June of the year 1900. Because he was not yet—listen to this story—because he was not yet 21 years of age— He had to find other work before being called at that age. He then served in a rural church in South Dakota and was given permission to start preaching stations. He learned English and Spanish to reach out to more than German-speaking people in the area. This was the norm for pastors on the American frontiers. He and the LCMS adapted, became even creative we may say, to unique cultures and contexts for the sake of gospel expansion. So can you imagine this sort of freedom being given to an evangelical 20-year-old today? That's hard to fathom, right? I'd love to see it happen. Since its inception, the LCMS educational system
0: has had to adapt. In America, pastoral training was initially modeled after those that existed back in Europe. Those programs of study took nine years of post-secondary education in order to be ordained by the church. Early in its history, the LCMS received hundreds of ordained pastors from Germany Leaders in the synod, uh, such as William is Lohy, knew that European pastoral training model was a, not a long-term or a sustainable model for pastoring training, pastoral training, and church growth. Therefore, in 1846, Reverend Lohi and other leaders opened the practical the practical seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. LCMS historian Carl Meyer noted in his 1964 book Moving Frontiers. More than half of those who graduated from the seminary in Fort Wayne during the first nine years of the school's existence attended from one to two years, and about a third of them two to three years. The aim was to provide men with the most practical instruction so they could enter the work as early as possible. They had gospel urgency. Through this program and seeing the need for getting pastors into the field more quickly, the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod became known for its adaptable educational system. Wow, incredible. Jack, we currently have quite a robust and a fantastic but expensive formal education system through our Concordia Universities and two seminaries. For most of us, it's taken four years to get through the whole process. I know this eight, is eight years. Eight, for me. eight years, even yeah. with the undergrad. undergrad I guess, yeah, with me as seminary. well. Then eight yeah. years. Yeah. I know this is not a simple question, but what adjustments would you make to our current system if given the responsibility?
2: Well, <clears throat> first of all, I would have to differentiate between our seminaries and our universities. Good um, point. They're not. They're They're not for the same purpose. Um, all accredited universities, in order to offer. Any degrees, BAs, MAs, PhDs, whatever, they have to be approved by a, an accrediting agency, which requires certain courses, uh, minimum number of credits, and so forth. That's not in the hands of the universities to decide, um, but rather the, the crediting agencies uh, tells them what they have to do. At least with regard to these degrees, those schools have little uh, little freedom to deviate, Um they could be more flexible in the way, in the way they offer courses, perhaps. Uh, but universities don't have a lot of freedom and flexibility, at least when it comes to conferring degrees. And if these universities stopped conferring degrees and said, we want to go independent, we just want to teach people, uh, they would die. Lose their
0: credibility, yeah. and they would die. Yeah. Got it.
2: But it's not the same with the seminaries. Of course, if they want to offer degrees like MDivs, uh, they have to follow the rules. There are rules um, governing, governed by the uh, accrediting agencies. Um, that's how we ended up with a four-year program. Okay. It was required by the accreditors. Uh-huh. However, you don't have to have an MDiv to be a pastor.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, CFW Walther did not have an MDiv. That's right. That's um, right. Nobody Jesus, had an MDiv. Jesus didn't have an <laughs> Jesus didn't have an MDiv. nobody had an MDiv before. No, no, not at all. When did we start the MDiv? Is in the '60s or '50s? Yeah. Nobody. Well, we up kind in, of made that the goal up
1: into the '50s. Yeah. Now. Yeah. It wasn't. My grandpa didn't have an MDiv,
2: so nobody late he '40s. A, he was an yeah. a yeah. No, he, wasn't. he was ordained
1: out of uh, Springfield Seminary. Yeah.
2: So this
0: became the goal, huh?
2: Yeah. When well, it, it, when when they switched to that, um, uh, but if you don't have an MDiv. Right. Uh, uh, then, um, you know, you, you don't have a, a degree. You don't have this mark uh, on your name uh, which says you're accredited. Um, in, in in terms of seminaries, we could be a lot more uh, free to craft a seminary program, more according to our needs, less restricted to common times and places, more adaptable to various kinds of electronic media and so forth uh, if we weren't uh, committed to having MDivs. We as a church could make the rules about what knowledge and skills we want in our pastors and in our our evangelists. So a big part of the problem in uh, this uh, is that we've, for the most part, tied being a pastor to having an MDiv. Um, Doing so has ensured at least minimum standard of quality. It keeps us accountable to external measurements of performance, and it has given our pastors a recognizable standard of achievement. You know, I have a master's degree, Mm -hmm. and therefore I'm qualified. But it locks us into a system that may not allow us the kind of flexibility that we need to raise up the kind of pastors that we need today in ways that that truly fit our needs.
1: So in Latin America, are the pastors there... (laughs) MDiv? What are are their certifications? Are are there various lanes for ordination in your work? And and we don't just have to look Latin America. You've been in other places across the globe as well. What sort of adaptability measures toward training have you seen?
2: In general, throughout the world, uh, the the mode of pastoral preparation has copied what we do in the United States. Now, it may not be a MDiv. Uh, In Brazil, for example, uh, the students get a uh, BA, but it's a, it's a, you know, four years of seminary yeah. um, in in Spanish speaking, Latin America, there are no seminaries. So whatever's being done is modeled after what's going on in North America. And I think this is true in Ethiopia. Uh, it, it's true also in Southeast Asia. So they've pretty much copied it, even though they don't have an MDiv, yeah. but it's, you know, the uh, cop, our system is basically imprinted on sure. everything else. So in, in the past, actually, in the
1: mid-19th century, <coughs> we had the office of evangelist. And have you seen that office in in the Global South?
2: Yeah, they have that. As, as you mentioned, in Ethiopia, um, not so much in Latin America. But again, uh, although the church may be growing there, the Lutheran Church is, is really not. Yeah. Not very well. So... Um, it's it's there. It's being used. They're a little less um, dependent on ordained church workers sure. uh, in, in many of these countries than we are here.
1: So in our story in the LCMS, there was a day and age on the American frontier when we had traveling preachers, those who search communities for entry points for the gospel, for preaching and teaching. We had what were called visitors not a very creative name, but visitors who went community to community, trying to initiate the beginnings, the startings of churches. So what are the various lanes or roles that the Latin American church, you've talked about a couple preacher and evangelist uh, that the Latin American church is training for?
2: Well, as far as I know, uh, Tim, they <clears throat> they have the same roles, the same pathways that we do here in the United States. Once again, it, and, and I'm really o- only, more intimately familiar with yeah. our, our sister churches so uh, I'm I'm not sure what's being done by other church bodies um, again speaking about the Lutheran Church in, in most cases uh, those churches are actually were started by missionaries from the United States that's true that's true in all the countries of Latin America so they just imported uh what we do to there
0: yeah I appreciate in our sin right now I mean I became a pastor out of a specific program that wasn't residential. And so there's about seven paths to seminary, but it's, it is unfortunate that if you didn't go to certain programs and get certain degrees, you do feel like maybe a second rate pastor. So um, in a lot of our conversations with non Lutheran church bodies, especially one in India, um, just replicating pastors that still are giving them theological education, not only to start and then get ordained probably within about a year they're all having ongoing education to continue that pathway yeah. forward so that the pastors are continually educated um, and and getting the theological training ongoing.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it's a lot about mentoring, coaching, your vicarage. As we understand today, your internship is, is frankly, longer. Mm-hmm. You're under authority mm-hmm. for a longer period of time. And right now in our culture, I've said this many times, it's hard eight years or four for the MDiv, right? It's hard to get in. But yet, once a pastor is in, ordained, it's Amen. easy to stay in. The ongoing accountability mm-hmm. and um, support is is not always always there. The pastor can become isolated. That's a major reason why we're doing lead time. We want pastors to know they're not isolated and that they should. It's incumbent upon them to continue to grow as leaders right. in the church.
2: Right.
0: So
1: if the American church is truly in a
0: post church, or we could say pre-Christian environment, which is a blessing actually to share the gospel, people will hear it. What can we learn from the church in Latin America?
2: Well, first of all, I think uh, we can learn to do more with less. Um, The church in North America, following in the footsteps of of Europe, uh, before it had uh, so many resources available to it, even today, uh, we have congregations um, with 50 people worshiping in them. Uh, And still they have a a full-time pastor. Can you even imagine Um, that would be, that would never happen in Latin America or Ethiopia or anywhere else. Um, So the church in Latin America is small, uh, tiny. uh, And of course, uh, we're in such a, uh, we are so, you know, In our context, we can learn from our brothers and sisters in Latin America to think big, to expect big things from God, who never disappoints us, who always keeps his promises, and will always provide all that we we need, and and he'll just do it. It It's probably—well,
1: no, okay, this is appropriate. What is giving you the most joy? Last question, brother. What's giving you just the most joy and optimism— as and we'll have you on again because we want to talk about the here and now. So maybe even do that about the future of of the church here in America. Um, and, and yeah, just what's what makes you optimistic
2: well <clears throat> if I focus on the church in North America, I'm not very optimistic. I'm optimistic about the, the congregation I belong yeah, to yeah. and, and uh, about you guys and many, many others and so don't don't get me wrong. Um, and also remember I've been around a, a few years and seen a, a, a bit and uh, <laughs> I have reason to to be concerned. Um, but when I think about the future, uh, you know I think about man what's going on in Madagascar. I've been there, I've seen it. Yeah. it's amazing mm. what God is doing in Ethiopia in yeah. uh, other places, what he's doing in Uruguay. Um, so i'm i'm very optimistic about that and and don't get me wrong i'm not negative
0: yeah
2: H- however i am also you know student of history and I, and i look at uh, what happened to the church in europe um, it's coming back by the way yeah there's signs of that um but we're following in, yeah. in their footsteps
1: so i think it's a new day and age it is it is and um, missiologists are saying we are in a post church Mm post-Christian context. So how do we start to re-envision ourselves and look at the book of Acts more as a template? A lot of freedom, Mm -hmm. a lot of freedom to go and grow and send and develop leaders uh, for local ministry. So that's what we want you to hear, listener, is at your local context, you have the responsibility, not just the invitation, but the responsibility to discover, develop, and deploy your lay leaders, to move them up, those who have the evangelical gifts, man, to train them up and send them out to reach the lost. The, the days are too short. Today is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and raise up other disciples today. So we we can. We need some new wine or new wineskins for new wine, and we are in that season right now. And all, again, we can control is is here in the East Valley and maybe offering models that can help shape the future of our church body and, and beyond. So yeah. I'm, I'm optimistic, but I, I am realistic along with you.
2: Okay. And yeah. We yeah. have to
1: have that balance because of our generational.
2: <laughs> you do. I, I, I
1: do, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and the church in Acts, the
0: ecclesia, is the people called out for something to, to show love and good deeds to the world and to do word and sacrament. But 14%, if it's going to be on a Sunday, it's going to be an hour of your week. That one day is only 14% of your week. So 86% of your time is with people in the community. So go and share that love and good deeds. What I love about... What you did for us today, Jack, is you put our heart and mind um, into other places of the world. And America is definitely very individualistic and focused on me, me, me. So who are the Jacks in your world, pastor, leader, that can point you to what God is doing in the world still in his one holy Christian and apostolic church so that you could be blessed by these stories and your people could learn what uh, the Book of Acts looks like in different parts of the
1: world, Jack. You are a gift to me. You're a dear friend. I've loved traveling with you, praying with you. Uh, I care for you. Can't wait to see what Jesus does in and through you. And frankly, it is sometimes a little intimidating to be a preacher. Uh, I know, Jake, and I. You look out and you see, oh my goodness, Jack Is he, Royce. Is
2: he frowning? Is he? Is he, what's
1: he <laughs> thinking? You're not frowning. and thinking? thinking. You this when is you're preaching. Well, no, no, <laughs> give me a break. You're not frowning. It's evident. That the gospel of Jesus is still so rich and needed in your life. You can see it in your eyes. I hear it in your voice. You are a passionate follower of Jesus and you simply want to get his word out. And you have made us better and our listeners better by sharing your heart the last two episodes. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for
2: your very time. much. It's been a real great pleasure. Yeah, I, I remember
1: you. preaching
0: once and I was like, I don't, I don't know about this. And you walked out and gave me a hug. And I think it was <laughs> in a time in your life where you just needed to hear some comfort. First some tests you were going through. And so it was like, yes, I think at least that Sunday it worked. No, the word works. Listener, thanks for listening to Lead Time. Please share today's episode and last week's. We hope it will spark a great conversation and action that leads many to Jesus and your leadership journey. Next time on Lead Time, we're going to get even more practical um, here in America on what this could look like uh, to raise up Christian leaders in your context. So, we will both be sharing more details on the Unite Leadership Center that might be new to you. A vision here in the East Valley of Phoenix to mobilize regional LCMS pastors and churches to basically go on mission together by discovering, developing, deploying their Christian leaders in their context. Thanks again
1: for listening. Have a great day. Peace. Sharing is caring. Peace. Thanks so much for joining us, Jack. You are
2: again, baby. Yeah. Thank you.
0: You have been listening to Lead Time with Tim and Jake please subscribe at cglchurch.org backslash lead
1: time. Thanks for listening. Tune in next Monday for another episode.